Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 120. Wow, we've hit the two-hour mark of Season 5 of Move Around Minutes, the daily podcast where we keep our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action film Die Hard to Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Matthew Simpson of Awesome Friday. Welcome back to the show, Matthew. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me uh, again. I'm having a great time so far. Uh, me too. Me too. And uh, we're, we're going to continue today with uh, some some more credits. <laughs> so Minute 120 <laughs> begins with, uh, well, continues with the the uh, legalese, uh, you know, as the, the, the song being played in the background, Let It Snow, uh, ends. And ends with the uh, list of some of the music credits. So yesterday we, we discussed uh, pretty much uh, most of the above the line uh, credits, you know, all the people who have their, or we finished up all the people who have their, their own credits, uh, you know, on the, on the entire screen, as opposed to being part of the scroll. And, you know, we get a, a few seconds left to the, uh, legalese, which we talked a little bit about yesterday, you know, the, the standard uh, legalese that, that tells everyone that, uh, you know, that, that, that we made all this up and, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't think that this is related to anything real. And after about 10 seconds, it starts scrolling and we, we start getting all of the, uh, you know, the, 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 I guess, below the line uh, credits. And it starts off with the uh, art director. And uh, again, we're, we're not going to go through every one of the credits here. We're just going to go to any of them that uh, seem to jump out at us uh, along the way. But what, what, what's fascinating is is that as the the credits begin to scroll, so the the music changes. You know, we, we just I just mentioned that "Let It Snow" ends, and the you know music of Michael Kamen playing uh, Finlandia uh, is what we're, what will take us through the the, the rest of this movie. And it's such a great piece. I mean, I know that this is a Rennie Harlan edition uh, uh, because, you know, he's from Finland and, you know, he always tra- tries to find different ways to put it in. And we, we talked earlier in the movie that that music was being played in the background during some scenes also. Uh, but uh, I, I still like the way that they, they did that here. You know, that this is the, the musical theme that they decided to use for the rest of the credits here. Um, are, are you familiar mm-hmm. with with the the, the Finlandia? Uh, you shouldn't call it the hymn. Uh, honestly, outside of this film, no, not really. Right? No, I, I've I don't think I've ever heard it outside of this film, or maybe you know through other Rennie Harlan films, but uh, you know that that's pretty much it. So it's it's actually based on a uh, a, a poem called Finlandia, which was uh, written in 1899 by uh, the Finnish composer uh, Jean Sibelius. And it was later uh, reworked by another by 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 the same composer into a standalone piece. Uh, I don't know enough about music to actually explain what that means. Uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, it was it was part of it was part of a, a larger uh, piece, I guess. And so therefore, they just took that part out. Yeah, I think. I think yeah, I think it implies that they it was like a larger like symphony or larger. Uh, series or suite of pieces and then this one is taken out and worked into like a standalone right and it it actually became one of the national songs of finland and they actually uh created lyrics for it in 1940 it's not the the official 
anthem of Finland. But uh, there, there, there are a lot of people who believe. I guess Rennie Harland himself believe that it, that it is. So there, there are numerous Christian hymns that were used that use this 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 type of song, this type of of uh, music towards it. And you know, it's part of a uh, you know, there's there's a hymn called uh, "Be Still My Soul," which uh, was eventually uh, translated into English. It was, it was German, and then it was translated to English, and it's it's usually sung to this tune, and it's uh, "Be still, my soul; the the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, He faithful will remain. Be still, my soul; thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to joyful end." Um, I'm not going to try and sing it to the tune. Don't worry, everyone. Everyone <laughs> is safe on on that that account. I'm not going to do it. Uh, there's there's another one that was there's there's a, another hymn called We Rest on Thee which also uh, is sung to this tune and that's We Rest on Thee our shield and our defender we go not forth alone against the foe strong in thy thy strength safe in thy keeping tender we rest on thee and in thy name we go strong in thy strength safe in thy keeping tender we rest on thee and in thy name we go so. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, the the various uses of uh, Finlandia. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds definitely sounds like a hymn. Yes. <laughs> well, I didn't make that part up. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have anything meaningful to add. Oh, okay. it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't. I don't. It's yeah. It's right. a, it's a beautiful piece of music. I enjoy listening to it. I, yes. Uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely one of those people. Uh, it causes small small amounts of conflict with my, with my wife where as soon as the movie's over she wants to turn it off and I'm like no no let's listen to the music and, and watch the names go by that's and uh, <laughs> this is uh, definitely a good one to listen to yes it definitely is I, I agree with you on that one uh, right so the, the credits start scrolling up and again I, I it, they start showing all the different uh, you know cameramen and stuff like that and there's there's one that jumped out at me and it was John T Connor Jr. You know, so basically, I think this this movie has the the problem that uh, you know Robert Patrick as the Terminator might actually show up to try and find John Connor. Yeah, uh, actually, that's, yeah. Uh, I guess he had to had to have a job before Judgment Day, so apparently, makes sense. this makes as much sense as anything. That's true. That's true. Now I looked it up, and so he has eighty credits in the camera and electrical department, and forty credits as a cinematographer. And I mean, to me, it was it was just very very strange. So I, I I decided that I wanted to look up a little bit more to see who who he was because you know as you said he's he's the savior he's the one who takes out uh, you know Skynet so you know th- th- there must be something more uh, about him. And on IMDb they have a very interesting uh, relatively short. Uh, mini biography that I'm just going to quickly read. So it's John Connor is an established cinematographer with many years of experience through the film industry. Most recently, Jack Ryan season four, uh, Monster Dahmer and Seal Team Six. He has spent the last few years with streaming shows, features and and many projects in between. John grew up in the business when he, with his father on sets like Deliverance, Sugarland Express, E.T., Top Gun, to name a few. John started in camera at 18 years old and worked his way up through the department over the years. He eventually went on to his and went on his own with directors Tony Scott, David Fincher, and J.J. Abrams, eventually ending his focus, pulling career on The Revenant. He received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the uh, 
uh, SOC for his 25 years as a technician. John would spend the next few years operating and shooting additional photography on big and small projects. Top Gun Maverick rounded up his op operating as he naturally transitioned into a cinematographer. Now, okay, this this got me, you know, uh, thinking about the fact that okay, they're they're talking about the fact that he grew up on movie set. So I decided to try and uh, you know I, I went in and did backwards research here. I said okay, uh, which which of the the four movies that they mentioned that he grew up uh, watching is the most obscure? So I said okay, I'll go to Sugarland Express and see if there's a John Connor there. And I actually found a John J Connor who was the uh, who who was uh, who worked on the set of of Sugarland Express. It turns out it's his father. Basically, his father was in the business for many, many years. His father has uh, 38 credits as a camera and electrical department uh, employee and and uh, 27 as a cinematographer. So again, I mean, hmm. it, it always amazes me how a lot of people in the movie industry, you know, their, their children basically follow in their footsteps. I mean, you see a lot with the, the the stuntmen and stuff like that. Maybe maybe when we get to the stuntmen, uh, you know, we'll come up with some stuff like that too. But it they, it turns out that, that a lot of these seem like family businesses. And you know, like kids mm -hmm. grew up like like here here we have an example of someone who who grew up on the set, you know, and he was there when his father was working on ET and his father was working on on Sugarland Express and Top Gun, uh, and you know, he himself loved the the idea and he he went and became a cameraman like his father you know which which i just find really really cool and i mean they were yeah. even working simultaneously i mean his his father was working on demolition man in 1993. you know it's not as if he he huh. stopped i mean his father his father continued working until uh his last credit as a cinematographer was in 2012. you know so, wow, so pretty pretty long running career there that's right that's right. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, if he was a true line express was or uh, even deliverance, deliverance was 72, I believe. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it, goes, it goes really far back the the whole thing. So, I, I, again, it just to me, it was very interesting, the whole idea that, that this this has turned into a family uh, type thing also. It's interesting because normally, like, if someone said, like, name a family in Hollywood, I would immediately go to, like, an acting family, like, I don't know, like the Coppolas or um, right. any of the other ones where it's like a whole family and, uh, uh, you know, the whole, everyone is sort of passed down acting tradition. And, there, you know, there's some families that have been doing it for three, four generations at this point. Um, but I guess it, it stands to reason it would handle, happen in the other departments as well. Correct. Like I said, there there are departments that, that that you see it, but this is one that just jumped out at me because yeah, and and I came across it by accident because I was looking up you know uh, you know the guy who's going to stop the Terminator, and that was it. You know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, we're not in a post-apocalypse yet, so I guess no. he was has been successful so far. Apparently, apparently, well, it's because it was either him or his father. His father was also John Connor, so it could have been either of them. Yeah, you know. could have been. I mean, maybe there's some time you want. I mean, time loop stuff going on there. Maybe, maybe they're both him. That's right. <laughs> from from different post-apocalyptic futures. There you go. Getting maybe into successful getting into the uh, Die Hard multiverse. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
That's right. So the next thing that jumped out at me is the is the credit that says special makeup effects created by. And you have a what seems like a couple there because it's Thomas uh, R. Berman and Barry Drybend Berman. So I decided to look them up to see what what the story was there because it's just you know the this, what where do you think they need special makeup in this movie? Do you have any idea? I imagine it's when somebody gets shot or burned or something. Okay, my 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 impression would be that it was probably the scene of of Cochrane, you know, because they do show the body for a fraction of a second a second after he gets killed on the conveyor belt. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mentioned back then yeah. that he looked like Darth Maul because, you know, his his whole face was red. Okay, that was that was my initial impression, and then I, I looked up the, these these two people, you know, Thomas and Barry, and they both were part they both have have 89 credits in the makeup department well sorry he has 89 credits in the makeup department and 20 and 22 in special effects and she has uh 59 in the makeup department and then i decided to go a little deeper and see what where were they uh, you know what, what type of things were they doing okay the two of them were on three tv shows doing the makeup and special effects they were on Grey's anatomy private practice and nip and tuck okay on Nip and Tuck, they were on 57 episodes. On Private Practice, they were on 64 episodes. And on Grey's Anatomy, they were on a whopping 231 episodes together. Okay, so Jesus. that's right. So what, what it basically says to me is, is that these are the, the type of makeup. They basically do, uh, I guess you could say medical makeup or death makeup, stuff like that. You know, they're, 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 it must be that they're dealing with makeup for people who are in hospitals and things like that or hospital shows because these are all you know medical related yeah. shows so maybe it's people who are burned like you said or people who are who who have some sort of uh yeah wounded exactly wounded so yeah in this case i guess crushed or yes. ripped up or that kind of stuff that's right no so i just thought it was it really seems cool. like it must be good business to must be good business to like have a niche and work within it that's true I mean, again. Also, it's uh, astounding to me that Grey's Anatomy ran for, or I guess it's still running technically. It's That's still running. It's still running. Bonkers. And they and they they stopped working there in like 2017. So you know, it's still that someone else took over from them, I guess. With that. So yeah, I don't know. Because even at that point, that's that's 12 seasons of TV. Like that's that's how how long that show's been on for night. I just look it up. That show's been on for 19 years. That is insane. Yes. Correct. I guess they had enough of uh, doing special makeup uh, effects. <laughs> I guess. Right. I, I mean, is there anything that 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 popped out for you uh, on the credits in this minute? I mean, I have a few others that that uh, that, that that I'm going to talk about. But is there anything that you saw in particular that 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 looked a little uh, that that you wanted to discuss? No, honestly, nothing. Nothing really jumped out of this. Uh, for me, like it has for you. Okay. Um, so the, the, I, honestly, I didn't even I didn't even notice the John Connor thing, and I feel like if I had, I would have gone down a deep rabbit hole on it. But there I did go. not. Okay, that's fine. So the next one that jumped out at me is a is a credit for someone named Gary Goldman, who is is listed here as a special forces advisor. Uh, that makes sense. Okay. It's military. Yes. It's like the guy teaching them how to mm -hmm. do. Correct. The the firefights. That's right. So he basically only has credits in four movies. And they are all as special uh, special forces advisor. Okay, uh, he's he's in he's listed in Predator, Above the Law, 
Die Hard and Die Hard 2. Those are the four movies where he is the uh, Special Forces advisor. And then he has two roles as an actor, one of them in the movie The Package. Did you ever see that with Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones? I don't think I have. Okay. So it's, it's a... Uh... It, does, it does not ring a bell. Okay. All right. So a movie from 1989. It's like a conspiracy theory uh, type of movie. Uh, which I, I love those type of things. And see, so he just plays a compa- command post soldier. And and then uh, he's also in Above the Law, playing a CIA in- interrogator, which, again, I guess you can say makes sense if that's the type of thing you know, that that, uh, that he does. Yeah, it sort of um, sort of tracks those guys. Like the, the most famous of the sort of military advisor guys is probably... Dale Dye. It's either Glenn Morshauer or, or Dale Dye, and they right. both end up playing like military commanders and or people in positions of authority. Correct. Uh, yeah. Like like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, uh, you know, they have the whole editing department and then we get into the visual effects and then we have the orchestra. Uh, so we have the orchestra conducted by Michael, Michael Kamen and then they have the orchestrations which I found really interesting because they've it, they've seven people listed under orchestrations. Now, I don't really know what that means by just saying orchestrations. Uh, what does that mean? There were only seven people that were, uh, you know, that, that were in the orchestra that was playing the music because it says Michael Kamen, Chris Beardman, William Ross, Don Davis, Paul Giffen, Mark Koval, and Ron Garot. Um so, you know, I, I don't really know what that means, orchestrations. Do you have any idea? No, I thought that orchestration would be like, because I know that typically there's like composer and orchestration and composer would be like writes the music. And I think orchestration is like arranges it for the orchestra. But usually that person would also be the conductor. Right. Is my my understanding. I'm, I'm maybe, maybe probably wrong, but that was my understanding. Um. Because sometimes you have someone who writes the music and someone else who actually conducts the orchestra. Right. Well, we know here. Arranging. Well, we know here that, um, that Michael Kamen is the is the conductor. That that is you know already stated. So maybe it's the idea of of you know yeah. putting it all together. He has a you know a team of guys that that, that worked with him. You know that's what it could be. Yeah, maybe it's just uh, maybe it is just the arrangement of the music right. for the orchestra. Right. And then following that, we have uh, the sound editors, which we, we only get five of them before. Well, sorry, we get six of them before the, the minute ends. Uh, the, the, the first one jumped out at me. It's uh, somebody named Bub Asman. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a name. Yes, it really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, whether you're talking about Bub or Asman, uh, it's a hell of a name. <laughs> that is correct. That is <laughs> more of a leg man myself, but, uh, you know, I can respect <laughs> it. It's only with one S, so that that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he was born on August 17th, 1949. Uh, he has credits in the sound department on 66 movies, uh, all the way through, uh, 2016. He was still, uh, you know, working, uh, as a sound editor. He has won two Oscars. He's been nominated six times. Okay. Um, you see, even at the Oscars, you don't pay attention to who these people are. So he was, he was nominated for best, yeah. best effects, best sound editing for Eraser. And he didn't win in 1997. Uh, then in 2001, he was nominated for Best Sound Editing for Space Cowboys. Did not win. 2007, he was nominated mm-hmm. uh, in the same category twice uh, for for Flags of Our Fathers and for Letters from Iwo Jima. 
and for this was for sound editing and he actually won for letters from Iwo Jima. Then in 2015, he was back working with Clint Eastwood for American Sniper and he won there also. And then uh, his final uh, Oscar nomination was in 2017 for his work on Sully. And in that one, he did not win. But that's still pretty pretty impressive, you know. To, that's yeah, more than a little impressive. That's especially because he's working with. Did he work with? I'm just looking at these wins now. Did he work with Alan Robert Murray on this one as well? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it looks like he. Yeah, they're they're partners. They 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 work together and everything. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's a it's an impressive run in the in the 2000s there though. Like that's right. That basically, all Clint Eastwood movies and. And nominated for all of them. That's right. <laughs> and he has two brothers who also work in the industry. Uh, one of them is a cinematographer, William Asman, and another one's a a re-recording mixer, John Asman. Um, hmm. So yeah, it's again uh, goes back business. goes back to the family business exactly. Um, so yeah, that that uh, I found that very interesting. And I actually don't have anything else for this minute. You have anything else for this minute? No idea. Okay. So every Wednesday, again, no script. So there, we will not discuss the discrepancies in the script. Uh, every Wednesday, we have a segment called uh, Off the Beaten Track Aviation Edition, where my guest will give some sort of story, anecdote, adventure, misadventure, something that's happened to them over the course of their life that is somehow related to uh, airports, airplanes, uh, uh, space travel, something. I don't know. Uh, so, you have a story for us, uh, Matthew? You know, I don't have a particular story, to be totally honest. I don't feel like I travel enough to have any really great stories. Um, but what I would like to say is that, like, maybe I'm a weirdo, but I kind of just really like airports. Um, I really enjoy all of the architecture in all the different airports. I enjoy that they're all the same, but also totally different. And I enjoy that they're often really good examples of, like, the region that they're in so for as a good example of that like uh i had one of the best nacho meals of my life in a texas airport um and our local airport here in vancouver which is vancouver international um is got the most canadian security ever everyone's super polite and very interested in where you've come from in a way where it's not like intrusive it's just like every time i go through security at yvr they're very much like where you been welcome back we're so glad to see you um except for one time <laughs> one time i went to prague in czech republic <clears throat> and when i came back we came back on a red eye flight and um we landed at like six in the morning and was super tired because i can't sleep on a plane and we get off the plane and we go through security and the woman behind the desk is like looking at our passport and she's like oh you're returning from prague right where did you stay and we're like oh we stayed in you know prahase with a friend of ours she's like oh yeah did you uh did you go here did you, i can't remember it was a long time ago so i can't remember exactly what she was asking but it was very much it became more and more like intrusive as it went and we started to get super worried about it <laughs> she was like where did you say did you go to this did you go to this particular place did you see this particular thing like did you pick anything up did you bring anything back with you and we're starting to be like why is she interrogating us like what did we do is there like some kind of like smuggling thing going on but actually it just turned out that her husband was from Prague and she was like super stoked that we had been there <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably like the most Canadian authority story ever <laughs> that is really funny yeah yeah 
Yeah, I like that. I like that story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on in. You think you don't have stories. That's a good story. You know, it's a unique story. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Kind of a short one, but yeah, it was very... It was Doesn't need to be long. Same thing, like, there was another time... There's another time we went through, just like last year, we went to America and I got pulled aside by security. And the reason I got, it turned out they they didn't even talk to me at the end. They just looked at my passport and they were like, oh, because there was some other person whose name was Matthew Simpson with a different middle name who they were like looking for. Uh-huh. But as soon as they saw that I had a different middle name, they like, they're like, oh, okay, you can go. <laughs> so I've been, I've been fairly lucky to have, like, I, I don't have any like nightmare travel stories. Okay. It doesn't, Touch wood. it doesn't need to be a nightmare story. It has to be something, an interesting story that happened to you. And there you go. You, get, you just gave us two of them. So perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much yeah. for that, Matthew. Fair enough. All right. So <laughs> do you want to once again tell people where they can find you? Yeah. The easiest place to find me and my work is at my personal webpage, which is uh, stretched.ca. Um, there you can find links to all the podcast episodes and podcast appearances, including once they air these ones. Um and my previous appearances on the Die Hard Minute that we did, was it two, three years ago? No, it was, it was two seasons um, ago. It was last year. It was a little more than last, a little more than a year ago. Actually, it came out. Was that only a year ago? Yeah, it was only a year ago. Wow, well, it's, I mean, ever since the pandemic, my conception of time is just completely out the window. <laughs> uh, and you can find me on social media, on t- Twitter. It's still called Twitter, as far as I'm concerned. Twitter and Instagram. Uh, uh, and a few others at Matthew AF and Blue Sky at Matthew, and of course the Awesome Friday podcast. You can search on your podcasting platform of choice. All right, very cool. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on my website MovieRobMinute.com. You can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook. So just just so just to remind you and and myself also uh, when you were on when you were on the Die Hard. So your your episodes were. You were on episodes 31 to 35 of of Die Hard, and that was that aired mid August last year. So again, it's it's a little more than a year. It's a year and two months. So that that that's not that far away. I it feels like so much longer. Definitely feels longer. Yeah, in a, like not in a bad way, just in a way where I don't understand time anymore. Okay, you you don't have to understand it. You just have to live through it. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, till tomorrow, yippee kaye. Yippee kaye. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little.